Like I always say, you don't have to be a speed coach to coach speed. Um, you know, you just have to ha- understand some basic principles and apply them and, and, and know which rules are important and which rules are, are you're able to break um, during the rehab process or during the return to play process. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. So this week on the Pacey Performance Podcast, we have Jonas Dodi, who has been on the podcast before, probably five or six times, but always brings incredible value. So in this episode, especially in the first half, we did have a little chat around projection, switching and reactivity and why they form such a fundamental part of the Speedworks and Jonas's philosophy. Then we have a little chat around how we actually develop each one of those strands. Then we get down to the real nitty-gritty detail of exercises and drills that can help those three. Then we have a little dive into using a warm-up as a movement screen. So we have a no-tech option, which is using the coach and I, what things we should be focusing on, how we can put drills in there that highlight certain areas that we can then use in our programming. But then in the second half of the episode, we have a little chat around using a specific technology to help us understand whether it's projection, whether it's switching, or whether it's reactivity that we need to focus on. And that app uses machine learning and artificial intelligence And then we have a little dive into that type of technology and how it can help uh, in these scenarios. So again, love listening to Jonas, and I know you guys do too. So I really appreciate him coming on, and uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. This episode is also sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. The powerhouse platform increases efficiency, saves paper, and can handle any type of programming. It's a perfect fit for professional and academy teams, performance institutes, schools, and universities. Team Builder is full of tools that help coaches' needs. Multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, just to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with promo code SPORTSMITH to start your 30 day free trial. Also, sponsoring this episode is Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organisations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been at the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade with the addition of the new Icon X rack range. Play are once again set to elevate the industry. On the 23rd of April 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK lab of the year in collaboration with Loughborough University. Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport, industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen Loughborough. So without further ado, over to the episode with Jonas. Jonas Dodo, welcome back to the Pace Performance Podcast for the, I think I said fourth time before and it was actually fifth, so I'm going to say sixth time just to be sure because it could be anything. Well, do you know what? When when um when my kids are older, they can see some kind of chronological 
progression of of my cheek fat and my um and my eye bags over over our pace, our pacey podcast <laughs> yes. uh, podcast. So yes, of go. course, yeah, absolutely, and fully branded for the people that are watching on the video. I, I'm fully branded just by accident. I, I definitely woke up like this, so um, yeah. <laughs> Waterball hat. No, I love it. It's it's one thing that I, I love to have is the branded stuff because you, no need to think about what to wear. Just no. shove on the, the, the business gear and you're good to roll. I read somewhere that, um, like, you know, uh, multimillionaires and, and Fortune 500 company guys just open their wardrobe and have very similar things to wear and they don't spend much processing power in the morning or, or across the day doing things they don't need to. Like if you have to think about your outfit, I watch my wife in the morning and my son who's a, like on a, on a, on a normal day, on a Saturday, fumbling through, trying it on this, that, and the other. I don't think I just walk and it, it's on. Speed works. Yeah. On it goes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, you are Mr. Worldwide at the minute. Good. Everywhere. You are everywhere. And I love it. It's great. It's great to see. Um, but anyone that is coming to the conference in March, Sportsman Speed Conference, will see your face there, which is great. Yeah. This was kind of a plug to, as well, to get you on and share some great information, but it was also a plug for the conference, but we've sold out. So, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Good problem to have. See ya. <laughs> now, there's still some Sunday tickets left, but you're, you're on the Saturday. So, um, but no. It's it's great to get you on, and it'd be great to actually meet again in person. Um, one of the few people that I actually have met in person who've been on the podcast, which is uh, which is good. But quick bio, very quick bio, because you've done it before. Would you mind just uh, yeah giving us the the whirlwind tour? Okay, um, I played rugby. I got injured. I enjoyed learning about rehab. I spent time in my degree and my master's learning about coaching. I realized that good coaching and good rehab are the same thing. I, I, um, I always feel like I don't know stuff. So I try to chase and bother and learn from great people who know lots of stuff. Um, I, I definitely enjoy or, or appreciate the adage that you should be try to be the dumbest person in the room. Um, so I guess over the past 10 to 15 years, I've searched out to find information from people and they just ended up to be some of the best people in the world who are pioneering in stuff. Um, so um, my wife every now and then at 11.30 p.m. would be like, who are you talking to? And I'd be like, it's, it's Jordan or, or it's Ken Clark or it's Ryan Grubbs because it's the right time for them, you know? Um, and she, oh, okay, it's just your current your current side girlfriend. Okay, I'll leave you to it. And she'll leave <laughs> Um, I, I have a first for knowledge. I, I, I know stuff, but I always double check it, triple check it. Um, and I guess the past two, three years after spending 10 years in track and field and consulting with team sports, the past two to three years, I've had the opportunity to, to stress check my ideas, my philosophy, my heuristics, my, my biases with machine learning and with AI. Um, so specifically around running mechanics, specifically around what is efficient, specifically around what what are the common denominators across different people, tall, short, heavy, slow. Um, field sports has really been the focus. So even though track and field is my baby and where I, I learned most of my skill sets, I learned it so I could apply it to team sports. Um, and so instead of doing a PhD and becoming Dr. Dodu, I've kind of done a, a, a you know, a, I've done it in action. Um, I've stress checked it. And constantly I talk to academics. They're like, Jonas, go and write that up as a postdoc. Go and write that up as a, as a PhD. And, and instead, I, I've just, you know, formulated it into a product. And, and that's how I deal with clients. And, and I think that's been important. And, and it, it fell, I fell into machine learning and AI and, and, and using video analysis. Um, and I fell into it because I wanted to be able to stress check what we were doing. Um, and it just it just turned out to be a great way to consult with multiple people around the world. And so I've gone from being absolutely broken and very in a dark place during the COVID year to figuring out what work-life balance should be for me um, to working with, um, with some great teams around the world and, and having some really cool projects, doing what a lot of the academics are saying isn't possible or doesn't work. Or if you look at, listen to your podcast again, over the past four or five years, 
you can see people saying maybe sprint training is important and then you read the academics or watch Twitter and listen to the people that are, are definitely pioneers in, in their field saying now nah, you don't need to sprint or okay you do need to sprint but you don't need to worry about technique or okay you do need to worry about technique because of it being efficiency and blah 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 so you can definitely see the academic sound chamber ivory towers gradually growing in understanding but then I go to some leading practitioners, some of the best physios and the best teams in the world, and they're like, no, they've been applying this for a number of years. And and actually the tools that were provided them is just allowing them to do that far quicker, far more economically, um, for, with far less bias. So um, it's fun to watch, it's fun to see. Um, everyone arguing is sprint is sprinting, does it matter for a while? And now people are like, okay, what's the most efficient way to sprint and, and how should we assess that? So you can see the, the tables turning. That's that's my brief bio. Imagine how busy you'd be if you ended up doing a postdoc. Look at imagine the admin. Ugh. Yeah, Horrible. I know. And and if anyone knows me, I, admin is not my friend <laughs> at all. <laughs> right. So I just on the academic stuff. You won a yeah. abstract recently. Yeah. That was presented at where was it presented? Sports Congress. Sports Congress in. Scandinavia? Is it in Scandinavia, Scott? Yeah, 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 okay. So that was with Chris Brammer from Salford. That's right, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he drove it. This was mainly his project. Uh, I was there as a supporting arm across the process. Um, and that, that abstract is really cool because it basically identifies what most of us have been seeing and just wasn't much evidence or any evidence at all, which is there is a relationship between how you run and I, I'll say it in different stages. There's definitely a relationship, very clearly, based on laws of biomechanics and functional functional anatomy, that the way we move influences how we create strain on our pulleys and levers, right? And it, it's just if we think about a crane or you think about any kind of basic system that if you have, and this is Dan Paff's analogy, that if you have a pulley and you have a, uh, a rope going through a pulley, but the rope is not aligned with the pulley and maybe it's inside the rope will fray, right? Easy wear and tear. We see it every day in our lives, but we don't apply it to running or, or to muscles. And what, what we're seeing from this is that there is clearly some relationship between how people sprint and their um, uh, level and, and amount of injuries that they're getting. There's a, there's a relationship. How strong that relationship is and the multifactorial stuff that fits into that, that's a different story. But what, what Chris did was, was review a large amount of football players specifically. Um, I think they're mainly football players and um, did a manual subjective analysis of running mechanics, taking key aspects across a kineogram and rating it in a, in a scoring system. And um, and then through interview process, uh, finding out injury history and aligning the poor runners essentially with with injury history. And that's nice. He, he had a good response at the Congress and lots of people asking questions and interested and finally that, okay, finally there is some evidence. Um, and, and I think there's just going to be more and more coming coming out of the woodworks. Okay. Interesting. I actually contacted Chris. I was probably one of many to stalk him and go, this is interesting. Would like to hear more. Um, but there's obviously more coming down the line that he's working on and publishing yeah. and that kind of stuff before anything. There's lots more. There's lots more. Chris Chris is really cool. Like we, we work together on some projects at the moment. Um, he'll, he'll, he often goes into, into football clubs, probably more academies than first teams, um, helps support them with like some hamstring epidemics to type stuff. You know, they've got big hammy injuries or they've got reoccurring. He'll go in and then he, he does me a favor and says, Oh, Jonas might be able to help with this. And then I go in and, um, and then I support with more of the coaching and, and intervention side. And co a lot of it ends up being coaching therapy, therapist education. You know, like I always say you don't have to be a speed coach to coach speed. Um, you know, you just have to ha understand some basic principles and apply them and, and, and know which rules are important and which rules are, are you're able to break um, during the rehab process or during the return to play process. So um, it's really nice to see. Um, there's more and more coaches and therapists out there who are taking it on board and, and making an impact. Um, and again, they don't have to be speed coaches to coach speed. It's just it's just efficient movement. It's just good running mechanics. Love a little anecdote, that. Love a little soundbite. 
Right, mate. Yeah. I think, but good place to start. I know we've been. Th- I don't know if we've been through it in detail, but I think just generally a good place to start anyway. And Ryan detailed it in his article on Sportsmith with you, and the, um, so did Alan as well. In terms of philosophy around projection, reactivity, and switching, that's something that you guys preach. It's on your branded T-shirts, or certainly one that I've got anyway. Um, would you mind just explaining it for us? Yeah. Okay. Um... So again, like I said, I trust myself, but I like to have numbers to give me confidence. So projection, when we look at correlation analysis and when we look at just the KPIs of projection across our database and just in reality, even research that's been published, things like the range of motion between your thighs at toe off, when you finish pushing against the ground, the ability to push your thigh backwards, every action has an equal and opposite reaction, means that you're pushing yourself forwards. And during that action, if you can also separate your thighs, the momentum of this thigh going forwards can support you getting a good RFD of the reverse of the other thigh and throw your momentum forwards, right? So big separation between your thighs. What I talk about trunk discipline, the ability to have a big hip extension without having to overuse your erectors to create an extension. An example would be if I'm doing an RDL with a strict diaphragm, not allowing my diaphragm to open and use my erectors to curve my back to lift. It might be the difference between an RDL and a good morning. A good morning really encourages you because the bars on your neck to use your erectors to pull out of the position. Whereas a, a deadlift, a straight leg deadlift or RDL might be really encouraging you to keep your abs on and allow your bum to do the work. So bum before back is a phrase we often use. So projection is really about displacement. It's really linked to your strength to weight ratio. It's really linked to your um, disassociation. Again, can you separate hip extension from from major erector and, and lumbar extension, or is your back the driver of extension, or is your knee and your quad the driver of extension? When your knee and your quads are driver of extension, your knee and your quad are vertical muscles. It actually ends up throwing you up eventually, maybe not in your first two to three steps, but very, very soon your vector goes up. Whereas when your knee and your bum work together, they throw you forwards and they do it in a way that you can keep recycling your legs. So good projections about displacement, it's a, it's a, it represents your force creation characteristics very much so, and the efficiency of your force creation. Um, again, just alluding to that lumbar pelvic disassociation, what's happening at your bum, what's happening at your hips. Um, switching, once you project to make a big shape to throw yourself forwards, you need to exchange your limbs. You need to reverse the action that you've just done. And again, if your extension is really driven by your bum and going forwards and and disassociation, your back isn't the driver, then that hip extension can be followed very easily and, and synergistically with hip flexion. Hip extension, hip flexion, hip extension, hip flexion. If your quad and your knee is your major driver and you don't have good co contractions in your posterior chain, and you end up using knee extension as, an, as a major driver for, for horizontal propulsion, then actually it's knee extension, knee flexion, knee extension, knee flexion. So a very easy solution to addressing poor RFD, uh, backside mechanics, pelvic posture, is just driving, again, a good projection pattern. A pattern that is very much bum driven because if it's bum driven it's hip flexor reciprocal and you're just able to switch and reverse your thighs really really cleanly and organically whereas when it's very much knee driven and the co-contractions aren't present in the posterior chain and the shin discipline isn't present you're doing lots of shin roll and, and ankle collapse in order to find more tension on the ground you end up being knee knee extension, knee flexion, knee extension, knee flexion, and, and your hip flexors become quiet. And then as you transition into running, your hip flexors and hip extensors weren't ready. Um, so projection is really about making a big shape. It's linked to your physical 
like I'm, I'm just going to say strength, like raw compound strength and where in the limb is the driver, bum or quad or knee. Switching is really about the coordination of your, of your pelvis so that you can hit a, a bit of a hip lock and bounce out of that position. But if your bum and your hip flexors aren't the drivers, then they should be, they're the engine, um, then it sets a cascade of other negative issues across the run. Um, and your ability to display your RFD. And then reactivity is like the suspension. It's like the, the recycling part of this action. Um, it's, it's really where efficiency, um, I'm not going to say comes from, but it's highly, highly linked to efficiency. You can do those other two things really well, have a really hip-driven extension, have a really hip-driven switch and, and, and reversal of your thighs, but then when your foot hits the ground, it could collapse and then you lose all your energy. And then those other two things could have been fine, but because you've collapsed and then now had to shin roll and now have to knee push, then actually you still get stuck in that same problem that I'm discussing, which is knee is the driver, bum isn't involved, you're stuck on the ground, you're not as reactive, not as elastic. So projection switching and reactivity are, are not just elements in, in isolation, they work together. They're, they're my key attractors that when they work together, you become very, very efficient in what you're doing. And for team sports, like definitely I go in and it's in, in many scenarios, I'm there as the speed coach. Let's make us fast and explosive. The past 12 months, I've been more a rehab coach, if I'm honest. Most of the teams that I'm in and that I'm working with, I'm there to help solve puzzles. And most of the puzzles are around the fact that one or two of those things are the athlete's strength and the third one is a weakness. And they may not be getting injuries in their calf and ankle, but, but they're all getting them in their, their hamstring and adductor, let's say. But it's very much linked to the fact that they can't be stiff and stable on the ground. Um, and it's just that cascade of issues that comes from it. So long-winded way of saying it, projections about distance and displacement. If you were going to measure it, I would measure your hip displacement. How far have you traveled or your step length? Switching is really about reversal of your thighs and, and it's really linked to lumbar pelvic control. If I was going to measure it, I'd measure your thigh angular velocity and your thigh angular acceleration. Yeah, Velocity being the range and, and what time and the acceleration being the ability to reverse it at the end of each of those ranges. And reactivity is all about ground contact time. So it's about ankle stiffness. It's about um, uh, ankle and, and just all-round all body elasticity, system stiffness. Um, but it's highly linked to your reversal. If you have a good, and we've got plenty of players that in the gym have great RSI, they jump and they're the best in the squad, but then they run and on our analysis, they've got the worst reactivity. They spend the longest on the ground. And actually the, uh, we have an algorithm and the algorithm will go around in circles, we'll go through lots of different data points and it will actually say something like um, they need to attack back faster. So even though the issue is to do with the ankle on the ground, that issue is exacerbated because the foot isn't moving back and down prior to contact. It's maybe just moving down or even maybe it's out in front and it's blocking. So um, the, the chaotic or the complex nature of human movement, two arms, two legs, gravity, faster and faster each step um, could leave you looking at lots of different angles and arms and shoulders and, and, and be plotting ways of improving mechanics. Whereas actually, typically, uh, if we stay in those three places, we can address another 12, 15, uh, everything else ends up being an effect. And most of the causes come from these three areas. So for me, I'm a simpleton. I don't like wasting too much time. I think I'm efficient. My wife thinks I'm lazy. Yeah, it's, it's all about perspective, right? Um, and so when I think about heuristics and I think about attractors and I think about what, when I look back in the past two years across multiple coaches and therapists, projection switching and reactivity. In fact, Ruth Waghorn would have been with me when I developed this process and, 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 and solidified this, this, um, these set of heuristics, uh, 10 years ago, um, and I reckon three years ago, she raised it again. And, I'm, and I was like, I don't actually talk about PSR anymore. I don't talk about projection switching reactivity. I talk about the elements of it. And I, and I maybe go too deep because I was deep in track and field. But she was like, right, you're working with, our, with you know, in, in order to be better, I need you to return to that.
like it, it makes it easier for her to learn and make sense of it for her coaches. And it made me go, oh, may, maybe, maybe I need to return to this. Maybe it's an easier way to make sense of the world. So really the past three years we've, we've studied, we've got over a thousand runs, like four, three, 400 players. And we, we do a deep analysis and it always comes around to being able to address one of those three things to address the whole picture. Interesting. So we're going to go on the tech side in the second half of the episode, which I'm really interested in learning more about. Just before we dive into the kind of using warm up as a movement screen, we're just going to, I'm just going to ask you a few questions on the uh, projective reactivity and switching. I know you've mentioned what you would look at in terms of metrics for each one of those three. And, then, and I don't want to dumb it down. And I'm a simpleton. I know you mentioned you are, but I definitely am. So when it, but when it comes to the implement, so you've, you've looked at the metrics, you've gone, okay, this is the area that we need to focus on. Can you give us a bit of an insight into where your head goes in terms of implementing something to improve each one of those three? Okay. I know, the, I know, I know that's the quite general and, and no, there's, no, lots of things go, there's lots of things going on, but you get what I'm saying. I think, I think it's, it's, it's actually relatively simple. Can you make a big shape? So if you watch someone run right now and you do need a bit of a coaching eye or an awareness, at least of your population, right? Let's just start. If you know your population, you have a normal distribution, some of your guys will run with more step length. So bigger strides, almost bounding. Some of your guys will run with more step frequency, just spinning the wheels. Some of the guys' frequency will come from limiting airtime, yeah? Not wasting any time on the ground. And that's why they don't have as much displacement. They're just spinning really quickly. And they might even take, they might be on the ground an average amount, just like some of the other guys. It's just they don't spend any time in the air. And that's why they spin fast. Others may spin fast because they're very quick off the ground. Now, these guys have more, these guys are utilizing being more efficient through the floor, being more reactive, being more, maybe limiting their range on the ground as well, right? So if you watch your player and they've got big steps, but because they make big steps, maybe they don't reverse out of those steps very quickly. Maybe they really utilize all of that time to extend. Those would be the individuals who could benefit from, as soon as they get to the end, switching a bit sooner. Because just by adding a bit of reactivity, a bit, sorry, a bit of, of switching and reversal, they can attack the ground a bit sooner. They may lose a tiny bit of length, but what they gain in, um, in RFD, what they gain in quickness on the ground is what improves them and makes it, allows them to run a bit faster. And also what I see, many people see, even some of Chris's, Chris Brammer's previous work is step length dominance is is being developing step length is good it's a massive part of the equation of velocity distance and time um however uh if you reduce your step length a tiny bit if your step length dominant if you reduce it a tiny bit and increase the frequency especially the reversal and the, and the ankle stiffness you will become more efficient let's forget faster you just become more efficient yeah, you can run longer for the same amount of energy. You can repeat sprint. You, as you transition, the latter part of a run is less costly. Um, and so I think I'm off on a tangent. You might have to ask me again. No, um, <laughs> that's fine. So, it, was, it was more about ex almost like exercise prescription, drill prescription okay. for yeah, each, so, each one of those three, where your head goes. Yeah. Yeah. So with, again, this, the making a big shape and pushing against resistance and creating good ankle and shin discipline are the KPIs of projection, right? So a broad jump encourages you to push against the ground horizontally, make a big extension, not a big shape, but a big extension against the ground to get big projection. A single leg broad jump or a bound where time is not your 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 KPI, but distance. Anything that distance is encouraging you will support it. But at a general level, so were they building a bigger bum, a bit of hypertrophy around your proximal hamstring, yeah? Um, even stronger quads, a bit of a squat. Most of your compound lifts will address your ability to project yourself, yeah, and support that ability. It's vertical, most compound lifts. It's slow compared to running, yeah? So the transfer 
is limited. But if you are weak and you do a bit of compound lifts, you can get a stronger bum, stronger squat, your ability, your RFD improves automatically and your, your force capability, your you know strength to weight ratio improves. So 50% of what you need to project yourself well in a sprint is covered by just getting a bit stronger. Now, getting a bit stronger after that doesn't cover much more. So after that point, it's like once you have some strength, or I, I would do this concurrently, I would be de- developing some strength, some physical capabilities to use your hip extensors aggressively and stabilize that with your hip flexors in your trunk. That's one thing, easy. Then I would be doing various transference drills, special strength, be it sled, be it wall drills with a real specific focus, be it some key switching elements where projection is limiting you or, or, or is, is you're stressing projection even though they're switching. Resistance during some of those key exercises, resisting the hips and extension um, or challenging the trunk whilst you're still trying to extend um, are all the key types of exercises that would really support projection. But at the end of the day, you need to do it running. So in football clubs, we do spend a lot of time helping them design, <clears throat> not just football, in, in team sports, we help them design mi- micro doses of how to address projection switching and reactivity through exercises in warm-ups, in the gym, post-training, on the grass, um, midway through technical drills so that they can potentiate the technical aspects and tactical aspect. There are various ways of doing it, but at the end of the day, it's can you push yourself forwards fast? That's really what we're talking about. That's that's just projection. Maybe I'll quickly say switching. Uh, exercises for switching, well, I said lumbar pelvic control. So anything that is core related, anything that is trunk related, anything that you have to um, be in a split stance and exchange your limbs out of a split stance or be in a split stance and have to be stable and strong and create lots of false closure around your pelvis. Anything that does that, anything that encourages you to disassociate your trunk from your pelvis, from your legs, be able to rotate, being able to flex bend, being able to um, uh, extend, but stay everything in control. Um, use your obliques like a elastic sling. Use your hip flexors like a sling. If anything that encourages that is going to be supporting your ability to switch. Um, at least it will support the ability, the the stability required in order for you to switch. And then that's the pelvis. And then anything that is, uh, I guess, uh, high RFD at outer ranges of your limb. So having to eccentrically control, who says it's eccentric? Some people say it's isometric. I'm not in that debate. But being able to block your knee on the way up and stop it moving up quickly using your adductor magnus and your glute and then reverse it back down. That is switching. That's reversal. Or the same thing, extending your hip extension, um, extending your hip, and before it's finished its extension, initiate initiating your hip flexors to rip it forwards. Yeah, there, there's some um, high eccentric forces happening at those joint, at the proximal to the joint in both of those positions. Both of those things really support your ability to switch. Um, so any exercises that are supporting that. Um, I, I do think that you need the physical strength, the core strength, the the slings, but that's almost slow and you need to be able to do it at high intensities and, and add some perturbations and with those perturbations still be able to, to switch your limbs. And reactivity, I think all plyometrics are really going to support your ability to be reactive. I think calf, calf training and calf loading is only done in, in most team sports when people are injured and there's a massive underappreciation of how the a sloppy, soft, unstable ankle can ha- create a cascade of issues up the chain. So, um, yeah, most plyometrics, most walking drills are going to help stability. Most calf loading is going to help strengthen the quality of the, the tissue in your tendons um, and a range of switching activities because you're switching, having to switch your limbs and land on the ground actually get you get you your contacts needed to create the RFD and the stiffness at the ankle alongside running drills, alongside um, plyometrics. They're, they're all going to be great ways of, of adding um, system stiffness. That's why you're here, mate. That's why you're here. Different class. Thank you. Um, right, let's move on to the using the warm-up as a movement screen. So that's something that's, that always comes up 
that's all right. That's great. Like that as a as a concept. But there's probably a big portion of people that either listen or read that are thinking, okay, thank you, but how? What am I looking for? Like, there's lots of things going on when when that is uh, under, uh, what's undertaken. So where am I pinpointing my attention? From, from a tech-free perspective, so we're just using the coaching eye, what are we looking for? Well, how can you help coaches try to zone in on certain things that may help them moving forwards? Yeah, and I'm just going to regurgitate and repeat what I just said, if I'm, if I'm honest. Like, um, I definitely think that uh, we say PSR, projection switching reactivity. PSR is an easy way to bucket the, the KPIs of movement, right? So let's say you're doing a warm-up. Let's say you're just doing a general warm-up and there's there's some walking activities, there's some mobility on the ground or over hurdles or whatever it is, just building, building, um, building up at the beginning. You start doing a range of different locomotor activities, be it some drills, be it some lateral shuffles, whatever it is that's in your warm-up. Having a base understanding of your group and firstly, do they have good trunk control? Like you're doing your range of drills and is there lots of trunk sway forwards and backwards? Are they stuck in a bit of a lordotic anterior tilt and it, and it remains? Like anterior tilt is important for extension but you should be able to, to get it and come out of it. Or does it just stay there all the time and they've got a, a curve in their back and they they look like they've got a bit of a pot belly, but really it's because they've opened their diaphragm and they can't set it. Like trunk control is a massive precursor to stability and fluid movement. And lack of trunk control has been linked to ACLs and groins and hammies and everything, right? So the first thing I'm looking for is trunk control. Um, uh, simple things like let's say they're just doing some skips for height or they're just doing some A much anything that's linear if I'm watching them side on I would rather if this is their head and they're moving this way I would rather that they can keep their head just in front of their hips rather than just behind because that difference is pretty dramatic in terms of what they're doing with their pelvis what's driving hip extension your head's here and there's space for you to extend your hip as soon as your head's here there's very limited space and the only way to get more extension is to curve your back so small things around trunk control and its influence on your hip extension quality would would be my constant themes and why put it sticks above head and why spend time on the ground doing hip bridges and and trunk related activities it's so that i can get some co-contractions like with all my with all my players especially rehabbers before we sprint i do an aggressive set of medball throws kneeling hands above head sitting with their feet off the ground and having to rotate because i just want to aggressively turn on their abilities to co-contract and deal with rotation quickly and get out of it. Um, I don't believe in, or I believe or not believe, I don't think anti-rotation is something that we coach or that we should coach, even though I think people coach it a lot. I, I want them, I want to see them go into rotation and get out of it. I want them to access the edges and be able to get out of the edges aggressively. So if I'm watching a warm up, I'm using activities, a range of activities to encourage their ability to stabilize their trunk and disassociate hip extension, hip rotation, etc. around it. Uh, if I see lots of sway backwards and forwards, it's an issue. Um, if I'm doing basic low level plyometrics, pogos, a simple theme, are you falling or are you flying? And this is probably something I talk about a lot more over the past eight months, just because I've, I've been in a lot of academies and I've, I need to coach it, but I, I didn't want to waste too much time. And actually it's probably the two key things that I, I focus on. If you're falling, you never get your toes up. You never attack the ground. You always amortize and squash your body into the floor. You always over-rotate to go forwards. If you're flying in the air, you get your legs ready. You, you jump before you land. Yeah, Before you land, you actually initiate extension. So as a result, your knees don't bend as much. Your ankles don't collapse. And you load your elastic structures to get off the ground. And you get more air time. Every player that does this will say it feels easier, more efficient. I can jump higher. Um, it doesn't hurt my knees or, you know, all of those kind of things. So 
again, as I'm going through a warm up, I'm making sure that people are being bouncy and, and are and actually creating pretension in, in, across all of their plyos, their skips, their side skips, their backwards runs, etc., um, to make sure they're flying and not falling. And then switch, and everyone does boom booms, right? Or everyone does a skips or marches or whatever it is, but not everyone switches out of their marches so that's the first thing i want to make sure that you don't just make a big shape and then your foot falls i want to make sure you make a big shape and you can reflexively exchange your legs when people do boom boom sometimes they they have a big range and they go let's say they're doing three booms they go boom 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 right and but what you generally see is you see big range small small big small small big they exchange, they, they um, sacrifice range of motion for speed. And all you're doing is staying in gear two and not really doing anything with it. The aim of all things, projection is about range. Can you project and spend little time doing it? That's how you get faster. Um, in, in the old adage, we had a discussion the other day, the mathematicians and everyone would have been taught that you have to, if you want to get faster, you, you you can't increase step length and increase step frequency. That's the general adage. I think it's BS. Because actually, if you attack the ground you um, and have stiffness and have pretension, it allows you to be quick off the ground. But it also allows you to get a good projection, especially if you have enough airtime. You can improve both. It just It's just about how you go about it and the discipline that's needed for it. So... Um, uh, those are probably the key things. Like, are you um, are you controlling your trunk so that your up the movement down the downstream is smooth and efficient? Um, are you stiff and stable on the ground so that the movement upstream can be done on a stable base? And those two things allow you to exchange your le your legs aggressively in a big range of motion, which just gives you perpetual motion. It just com it compounds everything to do with your movements. And this isn't just in linear sprinting. If you was doing a deceleration drill, the same thing would apply. If you're doing change of direction, the exact same things apply. You look into ACR research, the exact same things apply. So what we do is we go PSR for sprinting. It's the ABCs, basic movements, great. Now let's talk about it in a cut or a change of direction or just slamming on the brakes. Um, and Hailu, who, who's now joined the Speedworks team um, from Chelsea, he's great. At, yeah, and he has been great for the past three years, really, taking those concepts and saying, OK, how am I going to apply this firstly to, to change the direction? But more importantly, with, with his clients, because he, he has quite a few guys who, who play in the EPL, he's like, how do I make this position specific so that I can I can um, continue to layer in good movements and get them to transfer very, very quickly as well? So um, I hope that's clear and, and it, definitely. It does. And you've kind of answered my, my follow up question, which was which drills can set us up to to point these to easily identify these things. So mm. rather than just running your own warm-up that is kind of maybe the standard one for that day or whatever, how can you manipulate it to bring things to the fore so it makes it easier for you? But you've kind of you've kind of done that already. But is there anything else that you'd add in there? Now I've kind of asked the question specifically. So you said pogos. You said... Um, yeah, if you said I was, if I was to run fast today... I would do very simple drills. I would I, I would definitely dynamically warm you up on the ground, uh, if possible, if not in standing. And and in fact, I don't think I give enough um, I don't think I emphasize enough how important the, the dynamic warm up is prior to sprinting. Because everything I've said is really about uh, can you have good coordination in hip flex and hip extension? But we also know that across a season, if it's not addressed, you become more and more anterior tilt. This is Jordan Mendeguccia's research. You become more and more anterior tilt across a season if you don't counteract it. So I think that dynamic warm up at the beginning is what allows the freedom of, of what everything else what I've said. Um, I will do some dynamics. I'll do some pogos. I'll do some switches. I'll then do some dribble bleeds and some scissor bleeds or some high knees into running and scissors into running. Um, and then I'd run fast. I, I really don't do too many drills anymore um, because in most scenarios, people have got 10 to 15 minutes to do some speed or get people ready for the session. 
So I just focus on keep the main thing, the main thing um, and coach it really well. And that way the concepts are consistent for the players and they get it straight away and they make sense of it. And, and the wording changes so that it fits what they're doing. But um, yeah, I think that those are the, the basic exercises for linear sprints. And then there's a, a similar kind of trend if it was acceleration, a tiny bit of a change of emphasis if it was a more Accel, Decel day. But it's the same kind of emphasis. Three, four, five drills that progress in intensity, that um, unlock and awake and <clears throat> activate and just, yeah, create more mind-muscle connection with key muscles and key stability things in the beginning and then gradually intensify to make it either just more intense or more game match-specific or session-specific as we progress through it. But there's no reason why you can't get them to decent intensities as well as get them to move well. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Jonas. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we have a little chat around using the warm-up as a, as a movement screen, but with the option of a technology. And that technology being an app which uses artificial intelligence and machine learning to help us understand where we need to focus our attention. So really, really interesting part two coming up. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. Kitman Labs is sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kitman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance, partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research and unparalleled industry experience, they have architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. Also sponsoring this episode is Rewire Fitness. While we all know it's important to develop athletes' mental skills, it's often challenging for coaches to figure out how to apply these strategies. So Rewire Fitness is the ultimate coaching solution for helping athletes develop their mental fitness and gain an advantage over competition. The platform integrates evidence-based tools backed by neuroscience and sports psychology, as well as protocols used by NASA and the Navy SEALs to help athletes enhance mental performance and improve readiness, recovery and resilience. With daily insights into each athlete's readiness, you can identify trends, prevent overtraining, and make informed recommendations with ease, resulting in improved team performance. And they have the data to back it up. Typically, their users reduce their self-related stress by 70%, feel 30% more focused, and feel 30% more ready for performance with just five to 10 minutes of use each day. By implementing Rewire in your coaching practice, you can also support a culture of health and wellness proactively working to prevent athlete burnout and overtraining. Prioritizing mental wellness and performance is key to success of any team and Rewire Fitness is the solution to achieve it. Learn more and schedule a demo at rewirefitness.app forward slash Pacey. And now back to the episode with Jonas. Right, switching to another um, similar topic. If we've got the tech, right, let's talk about the technology because I think it needs it needs some explanation. It probably needs some follow-up questions to dispel some of the things that may come up as common, I think this is BS type of scenario. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. let's talk through the the, the app and the, the, the tech that you were talking about right at the start, your involvement and, and your involvement with it. Okay, fine. So the the story is a few years ago <clears throat> we start using binary sports app and binary is a another version kind of like dartfish right it will take us 45 minutes to an hour to analyze one run just to get the data out before we've even done something with the data 
So it was a cool app because you could get the data out. And if you had a thousand minions, it would definitely work. Even in some rehab cases, we made it worthwhile. But then I went away and then found some, some AI and found some, some virtual assistants to build me something that allowed me to do one run in 15 minutes. And that fast-tracked the process. And that's when I started working with Frankfurt. And that's when I started working with the FA and started having more and with Brighton and just more and more teams, um, the Texans and, and, um, and, and a baseball team that I can't talk about. And just more and more teams were open to analysis because we had more of a fast-tracked way of doing it. Uh, and, and really, it was a way for me to share my coaching eye with them, even if I'm not on the ground with them. Then I stopped doing that because I found ViewMotion. And I'm like, I had a Nokia and ViewMotion is an, is an iPhone 11, right? Like it's different gravy. So th there's just iterations of how we can quickly and easily get the kinematics, the quantifiable information from a video. So ViewMotion are great absolutely amazing um the the there was a recent post maybe even just yesterday or two days ago around using open source ai for pose analysis and stuff view motion isn't like any of the systems that you can find online because they use machine learning and because they are they have a massive database so their their system isn't like a lot of the other systems that you can freely find online and use um that won't have the same level of accuracy so View motion is pretty easy. You use your mobile phone, you measure out an area. There's a few settings you have to have specific on your mobile phone um, to get rid of some blur functions and some follow focus bits. You put out some cones in a 10 or 20 meter area. You put your phone down, you record someone run, you record 20 people run. You literally can log in through your phone to the website and, and press a button and upload all your videos. And then within maximum 24 hours, but often much quicker, you get a full report, a full biomechanical report, uh, a, a set of kinograms, um, various videos with, with pose on top and, and a cool way of, of vis visualizing just the skeleton of the athlete. Like I said, all of the kinematic variables, ground time, air time, thigh velocity, um, velo velocity at 5 and 10 meters time to 5, 10, 20 meters um, if it's deceleration you get your deceleration metrics um, and the best thing about it is you don't have to do anything you literally just upload and press a button so workflow dramatically changes you could have an NFL team might have 50 or 60 players you can bang them all out in the same time it would have taken to bang out two, right? You, you've even got a, um, you've even got a, uh, a bulk upload function because you need to tag your videos, but you can just tag it. You can have an Excel sheet, list the names of the players alongside the video name, um, which you just drag and drop from your video file. It's a very simple process. So we've got we've got SNC coaches, physios like Ed Mias. He's just I can see his WhatsApp now, so I'm going to mention Ed uh, is working with Irish rugby and he's applying it and and doing it in a really really cool way of just changing the game in how we justify our decision making. Um, and what I wouldn't say, even though a lot of it is linked to injury and re-injury and, and efficiency and posture, what I wouldn't say is that this becomes the holy grail for analyzing and, and identifying injury. I don't think we're ever going to have that. But what it does do is it gives you a very quick and efficient way of quantifying what you're seeing. I always see, say, whatever we can see, we can measure. And that's really important. Whatever we can see as coaches, we can measure. In the past, people relied on my eyes to tell them what's going on. Now we've written into our algorithm. So once you've uploaded to ViewMotion, you can get a PSR report. If you sign on for solutions, we can give you even more information. And essentially, that's my eyes that I've plucked out and put into the algorithm and done the past year, two years of stress checking it against lots of runs and lots of videos and then taking it to academics and said, what do you think? And got lots of really good responses from it. So... 
that's that's a simple process. One view motion, and you can you can purchase view motion for us. Just go to our website, um, and uh, view motion is a very easy, simple tool that anyone and everyone can use. But sometimes it gives you too much information. You you need you need to know where to start. You need to know what to ignore. You need to know your normative database. You need to you need to understand a few other pieces. Some people are really enjoying doing that journey and are, are going into the depths of the data. I enjoyed it, whereas now I don't enjoy it. I, I want to, I see a player, I, I get a report to, over to Tom, Tom Melling um, in our office, and, and I just want feedback very, very quickly because I have four players on that day and I'm going home and I'm, then I've got a team of stuff, sent me a whole set of data and there's just so much going on that I don't want to manually look for it every day. But at the same time, there's also coaches out there that would be wasting their time and maybe would be sending themselves to an early grave if they sat and looked through all of the data in their clubs and their teams. Um, and instead, being able to come to us and us summarise it based on our normative database and based on some of our heuristics and KPIs has become a really easy and simple way to, to do work. One thing that James Wilde mentioned in his episode a couple of weeks ago was the individual variability of certain kinematic and kinetic variables. So mm. making decisions based off one run, two runs, three runs, and with that information may be leading people down the wrong path because of the variability within that individual. How would yeah. that, how does that thought fade into this kind of process? Yeah, fine. And does it, now, we- no, uh, yeah, it, it does. It does to some degree. So we would have two AFL teams who do weekly monitoring. Uh, one NFL team do weekly monitoring of sprint gate. And with that weekly monitoring, it's at 90, 95% in upright running. Another team do it all in acceleration, zero to 10 or zero to 20 runs. You, you definitely will have variation, but if you create enough data from that athlete, you get to understand their normal variation, what is normal for them. Now, I know a strict scientific way would be to do three runs today, three runs next Monday, three runs the following Friday, and then look at normal variation within the session, as well as normal variation across the sessions, and then you can start to understand what is a realistic and meaningful change. But that's not always tangible. Like that's not always possible. And what I've seen is maybe the opposite that I can generally get one or two runs from an individual. What's, what's nice is what we suggest is three to four runs. If you can give us three to four runs and you allow the athlete to go, well, the first two can be at 90, 90-ish percent and the last two you go a bit harder. What that does is we, we see the let's say we're talking about symmetry and dominance and strategy. We see a certain strategy in the slower runs that just becomes even more extreme in the faster runs. That's enough information for us. I'll be honest, that's enough information. Does it give a very discrete picture of exactly the metric consistency? No, but we just want general big pictures. Are, are, they, are they projection dominant or not? Are they frequency dominant or not? Are they, are they good with their ankle postures or not? Like, you know, can they exchange their limbs well or not? Like simple messages, because when we analyze a sprint, we see that as our movement screen for everything else. So by understanding some general big picture things and aligning them with slow SSC and compound strength, our assessment of the sprint isn't just about academic rigor in analyzing someone's running gait. It's more about a general picture of how people um, coordinate their strengths and their physical characteristics. And a, a and through that lens, we can then prescribe the rest of their training. Um, so I definitely think research grade information, like even talk about view motion. View motion is done at 60 frames per second. Now, with a GoPro 11, you can do it at 120 frames per second. So great. That 120 frames is where a lot of a lot of research work is done, especially in the markerless world. But 60 frames per second isn't academic. Like, you, you, 
you couldn't do a very high level um, ivory tower research paper with that with that frame rate because of the variability you could be off a few frames on ground contact time off a few frames in air time but in reality when i look at our players and i see faster performances um, better performance more efficient or less or post injury asymmetry we can pull that out very very simply and easily even with 60 frames per second so there is what do i need to be to nulls over the data which i do like i'm a geek i love the data with my elite track track guys if we're doing any analysis it will always be 120 frames per second whereas what do i need in my scenario to quickly add value to my decision making and add add substance to a number of other profiling bits i'm doing it's more than enough you can do two runs today and uh, and okay you could be tired today right this is why normal variation is important the two runs you do today could be the worst two runs of the next two weeks because you're tired right so if i'm if i take a picture of those two runs and say that's you that could be an issue right and so th there are simple ways of doing it if you really want to cover your back you do a set of tests in one week you do it again the next across those two sessions you do two to three runs um in, in each of those sessions that to me gives me a good enough picture um so I, i'm probably sitting in the middle of what james has said Okay. Right. Cool. Maybe may more for prag pragmatic reasons rather than anything else. Yeah. No, that's cool. Thank you. So, who's using this app, Jonas? Lots of people. Okay. Um, I don't know the rules about naming things like this, so I would say that um, weird enough, my my son um, is eight, who follows football more than I do, as was saw a chart of the top six teams like last week. And he's like, daddy, you're working with three of those teams. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah good point. Cool. Then we <laughs> made the tables, like, oh, another team in the middle and another team that just escaped relegation. Like, great, <laughs> awesome. Like, there's a, so in, in the EPL, we, we are growing more and more in first teams and academies um, as a team-wide thing. That would be half of, of the football teams we're working with. But most of it is like rehabbers, re re repeat rehabbers, or key products and sorry, key projects. Um, lots and lots of academies in 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 um, the championship and the first team. Um, uh, sorry, and EPL. Um, Sheffield Academy is one I can talk about because they're very open and they pull it out there. Um, Frankfurt football team and another two Bundesliga teams. Um, the FA, we've got a really cool project with the FA. We, we supported the men's a bit in, in, from a medical perspective around the World Cup. And, and Ruth Waghorn and Martin are, are really for, in the forefront of what I think should be happening in pro sport with the women's programme. And that's been going on maybe over a year now. Um, and that's really, really cool. Some NFL teams, I'm now want to be in Australia. So we've got some AFL teams and, 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 and an NRL team. And, and quite frankly, um, even baseball. Baseball is a, a great opportunity. If you can't purchase the big hitters and have, or, you know, and, and focus on home runs, a lot of the teams are actually focusing on stealing bases. Um, and so as a result, they really need athletic players. Um, and so, from that perspective, NBA teams are interested. I, I don't know if you motion are officially with, there's definitely two, oh, definitely one team that they're working with already. And their focus is definitely more change of direction and breaking and how they can do in the field assessment of change of direction and breaking. So we do that with most teams, with, with a lot of teams anyway. But what I would always say is if you've got a, a zero to 20 meter run as your blueprint, everything else is a shrunken or less version of that. So your, your zero to 20 run ends up being your, um, I, I forget, Ryan Grubbs says this really well and I always get it wrong in how I say it, but I'm gonna say it ends up being the compass. It ends up being your measuring stick because everything else is like, if you're doing a deceleration test, you're running to 10 or 15 and slamming on the brakes. So if we've got reference data from your maximal 20 meter run and what your velocities were at, uh, increments across that point when we do your deceleration test it gives us a bit more value we know that did you back off in terms of intensity in order to change direction or to stop quickly um uh, and, and a range of other things that that allows us to create a bit of a composite score 
So um, I would say, uh, I could say England rugby because I'll be supporting them up to this next World Cup. Um, and they've been using it a bit as well, um, quite a lot, quite extensively. Um, and and I think the, the most important thing to talk about is the fact that it's one thing to analyse running or, or stopping quickly or changing direction. It's another thing to synthesise the data and have meaning about what you've seen. And then lastly is another thing to have interventions and a process that allows you to, to make the changes and support the, imp- I say changes, support the improvements of the player um, and trusting that and having the confidence that it's working and then having a process to test if it's working again. Um, and, and I think that this, this last year was really empowering and informative for coaches because speed is some mythical thing that actually now they're going, oh, no, okay. I follow the basic principles and it, and it really works. So there you go. Different class. What a, what a tease for the next six, six weeks away when you come to Leeds and, uh, and yeah, go through that exactly. lots of detail. Yeah. Exactly. So we, you know, we, we, team will be there as well. Yeah, yeah, the Speedworks team far and wide are all coming together and it'll be really, really cool. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. No, thank you very much for the last hour. Really appreciate it. Where can people find out more about the app, more about you, more about what you do on socials, where you're traveling to, all that kind of stuff? Speedsolutions.training. So that's the new website um, for... I'm, I'm, I'm actually just checking it because... I'm terrible. Speed solutions training is where you can go to find out more about view motion, about our ability to support you um, with, with building out your dashboard and, and, and creating solutions and mentoring alongside that. Speedworks.training is where you go to just get online courses and, and book me one to one, etc. Um, and and uh, I'm allergic to social media, but definitely following me on eat sleep train um, Eat sleep train underscore and speedworks.training on both Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. That's the place to be. But I am terrible. Like, I don't have it logged in. My mental health is so much better without having social media binging in the background. But I, I make a cameo appearance through Safari every now and then. I drop a gem and then I walk away. And when you do, it goes off like a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I no, normally, in a good way. normally, in a good way, sometimes. Um, Sometimes you attract the trolls, but I love the trolls. If there's more trolls, keep coming because you just make my life easier. You just <laughs> expose yourself you by ammo. being a troll. Love it. Yeah, give me ammo. Exactly. Right, mate. I'm going to let you go and crack on with your day, but really appreciate it as always and uh, look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Awesome, mate. Nice one. Thanks, Talk pal. to you soon. Speak soon. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 436 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Really appreciate Jonas coming on in a very, very busy schedule as he travels the world, presenting, coaching, advising, etc. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, to Team Builder, Play, Kitman Labs, and Rewire Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so I really do appreciate their support. So Jonas is another speaker at the Sportsmith Speed Conference at the end of March on the 26th, sorry, 25th and 26th in Leeds. The weekend tickets have now sold out. There is a couple of Sunday-only tickets that are left. Make sure you check out those at sportsmith.co forward slash speed hyphen conference.